Hello and welcome to My Soul Delights podcast. In My Soul Delights, we explore the beauty of our Christian faith and the way in which God's love reaches out to each one of us in a deep and personal way to restore our hearts and to renew this world. Hello and welcome to My Soul Delights podcast. You're very welcome if you are tuning in to this episode. Um, I would like to share with you in this short episode a story about a Eucharistic miracle in Siena. And of course, Siena is famously connected with St. Catherine of Siena, who was a Dominican saint in the 1300s. And she is also a doctor of the church and contributed greatly to the life of the church through her immense faith and courage. And wisdom as well that was given to her. So many people throughout her short lifetime, she only lived till the age of 33. But in that short lifespan, many people, including uh, very well-renowned church leaders, um, the Pope, uh, came to her and sought her counsel and her wisdom. So in this episode, I would like to share with you just a little bit about a Eucharistic miracle that took place in that lovely town of Siena in Italy, uh, which is in the Tuscany region of Italy, um, Tuscany being well known for its mountainous landscape. But just before I share with you, I invite you to join me in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Joseph, pray for us, and Saint John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So just before I begin to share with you the story about the Eucharistic miracle in Siena, um, I would like to share with you, which I thought what was interesting, maybe just a couple of quotes uh, connected with St. Catherine of Siena. Of course, uh, she had great uh, love for the Eucharist, which I thought was interesting um, because she was born uh, several centuries before the actual Eucharistic miracle occurred, so it wasn't during her lifetime. But one of the quotes that stood out to me that Jesus revealed to St. Catherine, and St. Catherine took note of many of her uh, mystical visions and dialogue with Jesus in um, her written work, which is called The Dialogues. One lovely quote that is uh, connected with St. Catherine is the words of Jesus when he tells her that in the Eucharist, even if the Eucharist was to be fragmented into millions of tiny particles, that he himself would still be completely present in each one. And also there's other quotes uh you know, where St. Catherine says that uh, God is closer to us than the fish is to water. And it was said that uh, towards the, the last few years of her life, uh, several years, I think, where St. Catherine just lived on the Eucharist alone. 
Um, so again, just it's interesting then how, let's say, hundreds of years later, um, this very town, Siena, will be the home of a Eucharistic miracle. And um, I had the privilege of visiting Siena just not that long ago um, with a youth group uh, who visited different parts of Italy, including Rome and Bracciano as well. And so I got to visit this church called the Basilica of St. Francis, which is in Siena, and so is home to the Eucharistic miracle. Uh, So I'll begin just by sharing with you some of the story first. Um, So the story is that on the 14th of August, 1730, so it was the vigil of the Feast of the Assumption of Mary, And there was a a group of people that had it in their mind to steal the consecrated hosts from the basilica, uh, from the tabernacle, while everyone was out uh, celebrating the feast of the Assumption in the town. And when the church was empty, uh, the consecrated hosts were stolen of which there was 348 in total in the ciborium. Um, Afterwards, when the friars who were living in the basilica grounds um, later came to notice that the hosts were stolen, were obviously searching for who had stolen them. But it wasn't until uh, a priest in another church nearby noticed something white Uh, protruding from an offertory box which was used to collect money for the church and he went over and noticed that it was um, a sacred host. Uh, This priest takes the hosts and when they examine them based on the imprint on the unleavened bread uh, they discover that they belonged to the church of St. Francis. So they were found just two days later on the 17th of August and they were cleaned and placed in a ciborium, and then they were brought in procession back again to the the church or basilica of St. Francis. So the friars there uh, placed them in a new ciborium, and uh, they anticipated that they would naturally deteriorate. To their surprise, the hosts did not deteriorate. And over time, the friars became convinced that they were witnessing a continuing miracle of preservation. So what becomes interesting is that it was pointed out as well in the story that why did the friars not consume these consecrated hosts, which would usually happen in a case where uh, consecrated hosts are misplaced or, or found after sacrilege. Um, that they would be consumed. Um, And I suppose one of the reasons was that because the hosts had become, I suppose, so soiled when they were left in the offertory box, that it might have been difficult for them to consume them um, because they were only superficially cleaned. And over a period of time when there was so many of these consecrated Eucharistic hosts, And then over time, when it became evident that they were not deteriorating, um, I suppose obviously that awareness that this is miraculous um, became evident as well. 
However, it was 50 years later that an official investigation was conducted into the authenticity of the miracle. So this would have been now the year 1780. And it became clear that they were found to be incorrupt. So some of the hosts had been distributed for consumption. um, But when it became evident that the hosts were remaining incorrupt, the Minister General for the Franciscan Order requested that the remaining Eucharistic hosts, of which now they counted as 230, um, be kept in a new ciborium with no further distribution because of the continuous miracle that was happening. Um, which is amazing when you think about it because even today that miracle is still occurring because they are still preserved, they're not deteriorating. So in a way it's like an, an act of recurring miracle every day and when you have you know, the privilege to go and see it and to pray in adoration before these uh, consecrated hosts, before Jesus present in the Eucharist, which you can see them uh, clearly in the side chapel of the Basilica and they're covered over by glass and you can very clearly see the ciborium behind the glass which itself um, has many glass panels in it so that you can see the Eucharist present in it you know sitting there to reflect that uh, these hosts have been there since the 1700s and are in this continuous uh miracle of preservation is really beautiful and profound as well. So then uh, they go on to do further investigations and one of them is in 1789 by the Archbishop of Siena whose name was Tiberio Borges or however that's pronounced in Italian um, who requested that several unconsecrated hosts be sealed in a box and kept under lock in the chancery office. Um, So this again was to test the authenticity of the actual consecrated hosts by comparing them to unconsecrated hosts which they would test and see how quickly it would take for them to deteriorate. So they left them under lock in this box for 10 years And after those 10 years, when they opened them, the unconsecrated hosts were examined and they were found to be disfigured and withered. Again, they left them for another 10 years after that. And in 1850, 61 years later, they again checked them and were found to be reduced to particles of a dark yellow colour, while in comparison, the consecrated hosts Um, from the 1700s retained their original freshness and also a fresh scent Um, so again uh, becoming more evident of the miracle that was continuously taking place and more examinations were done um, similarly in 1914 under the authority of the Pope St. Pius X And um, of course, all the while in all these investigations, the church will employ um, people specialized in the field of science. And uh, one of uh, these people was a professor under the name of Cyril Grimaldi. And he was a professor of chemistry at the University of Siena. And he was the chief chemical examiner 
of the holy particles in 1914. And in his words, he said that the holy particles of unleavened bread represent an example of perfect preservation, a singular phenomenon that inverts the natural law of the conservation of organic material. Um, in other words, that this was miraculous. Um, it was defying a natural law of corruption and deterioration. Um, in 1950, the miraculous hosts were placed in a new, more elaborate, elaborate ciborium. And at that time, of course, there was effort to ensure that they were secure and safe. Um, but this elaborate, beautiful ciborium attracted the attention of another thief. And unfortunately, a theft took place on the 5th of August, 1951, but this time only the ciborium was stolen and the sacred hosts were left in the corner of the tabernacle. And the archbishop there at the time counted that there was 133 hosts and had them placed in another ciborium. But again, these hosts were completely intact and um, the miraculously preserved hosts are put on public display. So at that time, they were put on public display on the 17th of each month, which commemorated the fact that the hosts were originally found after being stolen on the 17th of August, two days later after they had been stolen. And to commemorate that, were put on display the 17th of each month. And um, it also recounts that over the centuries, many people who would be well known came to adore uh, this Eucharistic miracle, including uh, St. John Bosco and also now Pope St. John the Twenty-Third as well. So it's a very inspiring Eucharistic miracle, one that's maybe different to some of the ones we might be familiar with already. Just the fact that it's they're constantly being preserved um, by the grace of God um, is, I think, one that can be really reflected on. They're, they're constantly present. Christ is constantly present in those Eucharistic hosts. And maybe it's something for us to reflect on each time we receive the Eucharist as well. Presence of Christ with us, within us. Um, some saints were granted that grace that Christ was truly always present within them. And, um, you know, we can pray for that too, or that each time we receive the Eucharist, that we're aware of Christ present in each of us. Um, even to imagine what our soul is like at that moment when we receive Christ in the Eucharist, um, because Christ is our source of light. And he can do none other than to illuminate our soul, give light to our soul, give beauty to it and strength and endurance because he himself is truly present there when we receive the Eucharist. And uh, so we can ask him to maintain that presence within us um, and his love as well, his enduring love, um, because he he wants that relationship with us and I think such Eucharistic miracles um, testify that, that Christ is truly present with us as much as he is beyond time and space and transcends all earthly temporal features 
and you know laws of science he also um, comes with such humility to be within time and space as we are ourselves um, so we are very much always learning I think um, through these different realities that are happening and it's very nourishing for our souls when we can take time to reflect on that on that which is truly real as well and um, there's lots more that could be shared as well particularly on different features and sites from from Italy which um, would be lovely to share again in another episode um, but I would like to leave you with this one uh, the Eucharistic miracle in this episode and I thank you for listening and wish you a lovely week ahead may God bless you